Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It's time to bring the orange with special guest, Andrew Miller, Principal SE for Pure. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I, I only ask that you don't define the meaning of special. That sometimes goes directions that I, I don't prefer, but you know, today I'll, I'll take it. You know, I've been following you on Twitter and, and, and Andrew's a great follow. So, uh, you know, after you guys listen to this, go and, and seek him out. Uh, your Twitter handle is? At and driven. Yeah. I, I love following you on Twitter. You're real, you're entertaining, you're amusing, and also super informative. So for a while, I, I will call you a special guest because you've been on my list and I've, I've absolutely wanted to get you in here. And now we're here at Accelerate, where it's all happening. It's all going down. There's been a super amount of information going out, good energy, been hanging out at the uh, flash stack table and lots of customer conversations, and even even some analyst friends that are uh, less cynical than they usually are, which is kind of cool to hear. You know, I, you know, I saw one tweet from, uh, from one of those analyst friends yesterday that, that was really uh, illuminating, right? Mm -hmm. it, it spoke to something to the effect of, you know, Pure seems to be doing things that deal with what customers are challenged with right now today. They're not setting lofty visions or expectations or in three to five years, we're going to X. It's like, here's right now the problems you have and we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go tackle those head on. I know the exact tweet you're talking about because okay. that was part of the conversation. Interesting. And the way that I phrased it was that what I'm seeing today kind of warms my operational soul. Because it's still there from starting as a junior data center admin almost 20 years ago, give or take. You can find it on LinkedIn. 20 years right? and, and some, you know, some hair ago, you know, and, 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 like you and I both Yes, have. yes. <laughs> this is, it, my, my, I do need to update my Twitter profile picture, so there's uh, truth in advertising you at some me. point. You so. fooled me. I, I thought you were this, not that you're an old guy, I thought you were this younger, you know, younger guy. Was that, was that something on Twitter where you were supposed to put well, a, a picture of you when you were starting your career, or it, you it just was, left that? It was actually a couple years ago when I um, actually when I joined rubric to start out the tech marketing team right there was an ask that hey you know you sh instead of using an avatar or something goofy you are kind of a public technical face of the company you should have something that more or less looks like you so so I took the more <laughs> or less as you know a six or seven year old one hey that's good it was the best headshot I had at the time you don't want to go with it. your artistry skills and try yeah. to draw something yeah yeah, yeah no drawing but you are more, more of a poet so we are going to do something here we were going back and forth the day before yesterday we were and uh, I, I, I never finished my limerick I was going to put you into a limerick but you did write a haiku for us. So for I the do. first time ever on the Pure Report, Mr. Andrew Miller is going to do poetry. And then we'll dive into dive in some Cloud Block Store things that we want to talk about. If uh, if you'd like to call it poetry, I'll take that. But you know, we'll take our best shot. You you followed the the, the format I, I for did. a haiku. I, I had to I had to Google it and remember that it was five. I knew it was five seven five. But yeah, it was yeah. Pretty yeah. Okay, so without no, further ado, you got ado. it. You got it. I think you got it. All right, go. This was from uh, when I was listening to the storage field day recordings on Monday and going back and forth and thinking about just how, just how to encapsulate this and having a little bit of fun on Twitter. Like I talk about pure stuff, I talk about other stuff, and having fun with it too. So, pure accelerate, faster, simpler cloudier in Austin no reason one applause let's see if the microphones pick <laughs> single up the clap. one applause single clap and actually in that my uh, my screen went off so I think I added one syllable to the last I think you line. put in Austin so, on so the last one so anyone who wants to catch five, me seven. yeah yeah that's all right yeah, yeah. it's all right I don't think people are counting Just the, the last time I was in Austin was at for a conference was actually a very different conference that felt very different I and, and might have had laptops on the stage and they were actually pretty cool laptops too no no you know no, it's hey, everybody loves a cool laptop. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What's what's your history? You talked about uh, you know doing uh, establishing the team at Rubrik, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, junior systems engineer, doing this thing about twenty years. 
Started out on the customer side for about okay. seven years, kind of um, admin to engineer to architect, you know, the classic new guy. Hey, no one wants to run backups. Here you go. Kind of thing. And then that wandered from that. <laughs> backups into, are punishment, right? It was backup exec <laughs> and then Tivoli storage manager. And you can say what level, you know, what circles of Hades that you're in, the circles, you know, third, if you want third to. Third fourth, maybe. Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and, but, but that was actually an awesome role look, at the time. Looking back, it was. I didn't realize it then because it was everything from servers to storage, bringing in the first centralized storage array to doing VMware, starting with VI3, played with 2.5, but wanted DRS and HA, to networking, to security stuff. Then went over, didn't want to sell all of my technical soul. Okay. So I, I um, but, but kind of couldn't go any further from a career standpoint. So I jumped over to the partner side into kind of post-sales and pre-sales roles, partner roles for about eight years. Um, some companies in the Carolinas, that, that's where I live, Greenville, South Carolina. Yep. And I uh, kind of went from SE to senior SE, um, uh, SE manager, um, kind of an accidental manager, right? as, as happens to many of us kind of thing. You kind of figure out happens. what you're doing along you're the just, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's fine. It's mm -hmm. fine. You know, it, it's an opportunity for growth. There's things that you never <laughs> sign up for, but there's some other things. Like there was a, we had a junior SE program and uh, seeing some of the folks who've succeeded out of that through their own really hard work, but yeah. a lot of investment, that's been like insanely gratifying, yeah. right? No, it's a thing. great thing. When you keep see in touch those with those people. When you see those folks come along. No, I, mm -hmm. I have a similar thing where there, there was an inside sales rep when I was at Oracle, you know, eight years ago. And he was, you know, he was one of the really motivated ones. Right. And, he, you know, we'd go up and do trainings every month and he was paying attention. He was, you know, scribbling down notes and asking the really hard questions. And yep. I went, this guy's going to do pretty well. Yep. And now eight, eight years later, guess where he works? He Pure? was a Flashblade AE in oh, Colorado. Wow. For that's, awesome. that's a wonderful yeah. circle of life. It, it's a really cool thing. And I just, mm -hmm. I just, I just saw his name pop up on one of the, uh, one of the Salesforce reports. And like and he like, gets all the credit for all the hard work and you feel gratified gratification. Just like knowing that you put some into that and seeing how it turned out, which is awesome. Yeah. I don't think I get that much credit for it, but yeah, just like it's gratifying. <laughs> that's all right. Um, so, what do you do for pure now? What's, what's, you know, what's your day to day mm -hmm. activities? I figure a mm -hmm. lot of airplanes and a lot of hotels and a lot of going and seeing folks and talking architecturally. Decent amount. Decent amount. So I'm a principal SE for pure which is a pre-sales technical overlay, some field CTO-ish, some mix of business and technical yeah. at a regional level. So I cover the Southeast, but not, not exclusively the Southeast. So that's working with um, customers in certain meetings and field EBCs and briefings, um, educating partners. There's also the aspect of being the conduit back to product management and engineering. And that actually links back to kind of my last role right before here, where I was at Rubrik two years as the first technical marketing hire. Um, hired about nine folks in two years to build out the tech marketing team there. And in that time, I was out in Palo Alto kind of as a remote HQ candidate mm -hmm. a good bit. So that was how I was kind of able to at least convince the hiring manager here. Uh, give a shout out to Trevor Starnes because I appreciate right. him taking a hey. chance on me. Shout outs are fun. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I say, hey, there's some previous experience for pre-sales and understanding some of how the sausage is made. Right. Uh, I can still be engaging and not too cynical about it, but, but knowing about what PRDs are and about how design docs are and, and some of the underlying engineering pieces and creating products. But I think that's really important, right, to get that feedback. Otherwise, you have product and technology designed in a vacuum or based on mm -hmm. what one or a few people, right, group thinky kind of things, what a few people think are the right features and, and products to bring out. Um, feedback from folks like you, you know, directly into products, super important. I've thought over the years that... Uh, you, we need to be quantitative. We need to have data to establish. But the best way to communicate that is is through anecdotes. Mm -hmm. So you, you can have the problem of you just get good anecdotes that don't have the actual trends underneath it. Right. But unless you have a couple good anecdotes or stories, it's really hard for people to understand it. And then if you're credible and bring the data, they'll believe it. But they won't get it. 
just from a trend line kind yeah. of thing. Unless so. you can relate it to something. And it's funny, mm -hmm. I find mm -hmm. as I go further in my career and I do more and more, you know, I've done a ton of presentations, but when I present, my presentation now is, it's, it's all anecdotes, right? You know, there's information mm -hmm. up on the slide mm -hmm. and yeah, I can read the bullets like anybody mm -hmm. else, but I kind of, it's, it's just more impactful if you relate it to a story, to something that happened, to something that was solved. I was talking with someone, um, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about a short presentation they had. And I was like, you know, probably all that you're going to be able to do, actually it was for an uh, event in New Orleans, all you're going to be able to do is get across three points, probably, yep. at best. That's about right. So yeah. uh, make sure to have three stories. And this is someone who's done it for a while. We were just brainstorming. You know, yeah. I was like, hey, give me some input. So hey, if, hey, when I look at this, I think all, all I can do is three points. I'd have at least three stories. Then I have whatever data points can support that. But there's no way you're going to actually prove it in the 10 to 15 minutes. Not in that short period of time. Yeah, there's no way that that's going to be able to happen. But the stories, hopefully people will remember. Because that's just how we're wired as humans. No, that, it that's is. what we remember. It is, yeah. No, we connect with details and things. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, I'm pleased to have you on here because you actually have a really good talk track um, around some of the things that we're doing in, in the cloud space, or mm -hmm. let's say as a service space, right? I, I tend to like to use that terminology. Uh, I've been tuning myself over the last day and a half um, <laughs> around that, but, uh, you know, Accelerate, we announce new shiny things and that's a, that's a terrific thing, but then we actually need folks like you to be the translation mechanism mm -hmm. for sort of the high level things that we're describing and how they actually get, um, you know, that get put into place. But you've got, uh, start it with an anecdote, right? Yeah. You have one of those. Yeah, so for me, as we kind of wander into a little bit of, uh, of, of cloud block store and yeah. even cloud snap, like, we're going to get to technology and actual products here. That, that's the point eventually. So, so at some point, 10 we'll minutes in and we haven't yeah. had a product or technology, but that's all right. It's uh, getting to know you. That's success, you know. <laughs> right? Maybe. So I, I was actually, I, I'm, I'm super fortunate in that, as a principal SC, have advanced view from a roadmap and product perspective, and then we'll and then have have the responsibility as well to brief customers on that from an NDA standpoint. So I was at a field EBC in Charlotte about a month and a half ago, and I was walking through some of what we're going to talk about here in a minute. Mm -hmm. And the customer was very clear; they they had their next purchase on the table, and they are a dual vendor strategy, and, and that's fine. They're, they're big no, enough okay. that it makes sense for them. Okay, yeah, and we're we're, we're happy to be part of that, and we're we're doing very well as part of that, right? Okay, you know, because the other vendor existed before we did. Surprise, surprise. Wow. Um, and based on the vision that they saw of where we're going with Cloud Block Store and Cloud Snap. For them, it was a, comp a confidence level like, hey, we are going to pull the trigger. And if anything, we're going to accelerate some future purchases based on the vision that you like. It was, frankly, buying all the same stuff they might have, might have bought otherwise, but knowing that it's going to be an investment into a future vision and not just more a one-off purchase kind of thing. And that was even for me as Pure. Like, I, I joined Pure not because Pure is a storage company. I really have been geeking out about direct flash and right. about how we do NVRAM. There's some cool stuff oh, there. There's cool technologies, of course. But yeah. I like where it's going from a cloud perspective. And to me, that's a big part of why I'm here. That's not denigrating any of the phenomenal foundation that created the need for my paycheck, right? Kind of, of course. But I, but I like where the company's going from a cloud perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's going in a really interesting place. And it's and it's thought-provoking. And, and even just, you know, some of the pods that I recorded yesterday, that was, you know, one of the big subject areas. And, you know, the analyst influencer types that mm -hmm. that I'm talking to, mm -hmm. you know, for the program are saying similar things. They're going, this is really intriguing. This is where you 
need to be. Customers want to have this choice, this option, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not either or, right? It's sort of it's it's and, right? There's it's, literally it's, a slide that says hybrid cloud and public cloud or on prem and public cloud. It's not an or, it's an yeah, and. It's an and. But the end's hard. But the end is hard. The end is hard, and that's why there's people like you. I want to get into uh, the and. What? Um, what is the the foundational starting point, mm-hmm. right, that you see from a pure feature foundation? Like, what is the thing that that you see that drives value uh, under the covers yep. for for this cloud block store um, story? I'd say it starts with data reduction. Okay. And, and actually, my apologies. I realized I left one thing out. I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit because no, I, 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 I had two it. stories, right? Kind of thing. Okay. So, okay. No. Um, and the other story was actually a customer um, nearby. They're actually near near Charlotte. Um, but not in Charlotte, so I don't give everything away. They had actually gone almost entirely to a public cloud. I'm going to leave it out because this isn't meant to beat on that public cloud. Yeah, it could be on right. one of them, right, kind of thing. And they had a new CFO, and they had to pull everything back. And it was the classic story that I think we've heard a lot of times where you talk about, you know, IaaS, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. They, they bought into the whole infrastructure as a service message. They put everything out there. And for a mix of some performance... And huge amount of cost, the new CFO said, you've got to yank everything back. That, mm, insert other words here, that, that, that is really just awful as an IT professional. How much effort you've taken to put everything out there. And how much time. Pull it back that's, I mean, that's without a, yeah. impact of the business kind of thing. Right. And, and that to me then actually feeds into kind of where some of the pure cloud story starts. And this is for me like I've worked with... Um, Again, I'm going to be good and not name names, but you can guess what was vintage 2004 and some disruptors there with iSCSI right. and other ones. That's I was trying to be good about that. That's no, we, it's okay. And legal appreciates that when we mm-hmm. just sort of be generic. It's easier. We yeah, just be like, generic. It's much easier for them. You can find it on my blog and LinkedIn, like what I work <laughs> with. But at core, some of Pure's um, differentiation in the cloud actually, I'd say, starts with data reduction. Okay. And data reduction to me is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. It was what we used 10 years ago to try and take consumer SSDs and bring them actually down to both get the performance and the cost and the cost curve that we needed to compete with tier one flat, yeah. tier yeah. one arrays Using from a flash. spinning disk yeah. standpoint, right? Yeah. That, that was the beginning. And so I usually start with that because people think that's kind of table stakes for pure. Or maybe they take it for granted. But as we go into the cloud stuff, it ends up playing out in a lot of different ways. So, so I, to me, that's usually like this initial teaser. And then, and then launch into... Just the concept of snapshots, right? Snapshots on pure, to me, are what snapshots always wanted to be when they grow up. Explain. There's no, there's Explain. no so, so if you yeah. go and delete a snapshot, there's never any process where the array starts to thrash because the snapshot's been around for a while. You want to create a snapshot instantly, it gets created instantly. You want to go and clone or overwrite a snapshot back to a previous one, that also happens instantly. Um, you want to replicate it out, there's efficiency in the replication. There's no dependency on the source volume to the snapshot. But most precisely, the snapshot is really almost a first-class citizen to the volume mm-hmm. from a true under-the-covers perspective, except we make really clear to label and metadata, this is the volume and these right, are the snapshots. Right, yeah. but, but actually, architecturally, they are very similar, so there's no performance penalties there. So, so that then leads into... Often when I bring that up to customers, there's a conversation around, you know, how much do you use snapshots? And that's often based on where they came from. If they came from platforms that had good snapshots, maybe they use them more. If not, maybe they use them less. That's a little bit of a free architecture consulting. Like, hey, if you haven't thought about this mm-hmm. on Pure, or you heard about it in the sales pitch and haven't used it, you should be using this. It's do, free. Do it's good stuff. Use, do you have to use some, do some re-education around so, that for the ones that maybe haven't often, had the best experience I'll with say, it? I'll say kind of 50-50. Okay. And, and to me, this is... This is just the right thing to do because it would be easy to just jump right to our cloud story. This links into our cloud story. Yeah. But it'd be easy to jump to our cloud story without saying, hey, you've already got this. It works really well. 
and it's free, you should be thinking about using this. Yeah, you have the foundational elements. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that again, getting <clears throat> anecdotal. Mm-hmm. I was doing my, my Oracle session yesterday. And, you know, there's a section where we talk about automating development workflows and using snapshots as the, you know, way to streamline mm-hmm. that process. And we got to the end and, you know, hey, Q&A, ask us anything, you know, any questions. And, you know, guy in the room sitting halfway back raised his hand and went, uh, this isn't really a question. This is more of a comment. And those are always things where I go, right. uh-oh. You go one of two ways really <laughs> Here quickly. Here we go. Uh-oh. This is either going to be really bad or this might be interesting. Mm-hmm. And and he basically just said, yeah, everything those, you know, he kind of looked at everybody in the room. He said, everything those guys are talking about up there relative to snapshots is absolutely true, right? Here's the problem we had. We needed to do cloning. It took this amount of time. We started using snapshots. We trimmed that down to almost no time at all. So it's legit, but you got to re-educate. I think for some mm-hmm. of the folks that, that that maybe aren't aware that it's not not your not your mother or father's snapshot technology, perhaps. I mean, even I mean, there was there was copy on first write snapshots. There were pointer based snapshots. Even right. some previous pointer based snapshots, previous generations of technology had some limitations to them. So yeah. this is never telling people like, oh, you're you're dumb for not using this. It's yeah, just yeah. like, hey, relook at this category that you thought there may not have been innovation in. There's been some innovation there. It's worth looking at again. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and then as you transition and look at mm-hmm. you know where you're going into cloud so, so the next piece there is that what is then that next piece launching into looking at how we created a portable snapshot format okay uh first in uh 5.1 and I've, I've got this is part of my part of my talk track right that this was free because that's what we do with pure it's evergreen software is it included it's or all, is it free uh, well both yes yeah, we always have yeah. to kind of tune that well, word but yeah, yeah i'll go no, with it no, yeah, there's no. no there's no incremental cost when you choose Correct. to turn it on yeah yeah because uh, I, I was i had been there at times where like a year in i'd be like oh man i want to use this feature I can't get the license key. I don't have the money. Yeah. Maybe someone can do me a solid. Uh, do I want to use it enough can, to get it justified? And in that way, maybe that it is stuff. kind of free, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't have to deal with those uh, mm-hmm. th- those menial kind mm-hmm. of hassles. I'm not making that story up. The first time I wanted to turn, turn on Fiber Channel on an array, it was a licensed feature, and I had to scrounge and scramble for it. Okay. it was like, so, so what we did in 5.1 is we created the ability to offload snapshots or, or archive them, if you will, to NFS. That's inside the data center. So that we had to create a portable snapshot format. That's so one array can send the snapshot out with everything needed self-contained. So even if that array went away, away entirely, it could be reconstituted on another array. One array for NFS can write to an export. Multiple can read off it. So there's a portability factor there as well as kind of a long-term standpoint. The speeds, of course, are dictated by what's your connection to the, you know, your, your LAN speeds to the NFS data store, whatever it is, as well as what's on the other end. Yeah. We've had some uh, interesting repurposing scenarios there that people have been able to do with, with competitive gear if they didn't choose to trade it in, right? So, so that, that's a potential <laughs> there. Like, you know, you, could, you can still get some life out of it. Makes sense, maybe not. But that's even also sometimes off to Flashblade in a rapid restore sure. scenario sure. where I want to have snapshots cut for a longer term than I want my array, but I want to have a then be able to come back really fast. And we only bring back just the changes. So right. if you dig into that portable snapshot and the snapshot offload, there's there's some really good tech there. In 5.2 is where when I'm whiteboarding this and I'm waving my hands around while I'm talking here because I'm like pretend <laughs> whiteboarding. Um, in 5.2, that's where we, we needed that portable snapshot foundation to be able to go and send that to S3. Yeah. And then, of course, in 5.3, we did that off to Azure Azure Blob as well kind of thing. So there's no Amazon only. It's we look at the market share, and that dictates our launch order of features. But when you see multi-cloud on the slides, it's not just a buzzword. We're, we are trying to go there yeah. without denigrating any of our cloud partners no. who are oh, it's awesome. Intent. But no, I, choice, about the choice is better than gaps, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that old that old line, and, and we want to provide our customers with choice and give them any choice of the, you know, the, the cloud options that are out there. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. You do have to prioritize 
You can't only go so many to, engineers. You so can't many only so many engineers, and you can't go do all clouds at the same time. It would be wonderful. Right? That would oh, be, cool. be really, amazing. Yeah, no, unlimited resources, unlimited power uh, would be, you know, would be <laughs> would be uh, would be would be fantastic. I think literally for any Silicon Valley that I've, company that I've talked with in the last couple of years, almost nobody has actually hit their hiring engineering hiring goals. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, they just can't hire find get enough people because the competition is so fierce and they start competitions fierce but also our unemployment rate right now in the bay area is like two something Mm -hmm. percent which is Mm -hmm. basically just the cyclical churn people changing jobs and moving to other jobs so you know you you have an opening in a spot and you need to hire an engineering team it's gonna take a while that's why we open up an office in Prague, or at least part of it i know know, some time zones and some engineering talent so access to resources it's Mm -hmm. a good thing Mm -hmm. but we digress okay so then back back on track here (laughs) so so then we get to this the scenario, okay, so, so, so what can I actually do with this in the clouds? So let's say I've got some snapshots that have yeah. been archived in S3. So what if you had this magical ability to take purity, flash array, all the good stuff there, insert long talk tracks there, but usually without beating it to death, because hopefully the customer already knows some core flash array stuff at the point. What if you could run it in the, in the cloud and have all the native capabilities? That sounds like such a simple concept, but it's actually really hard in practice. And, and we tried this a couple different ways. So there have been some some competitors out there that have actually tried to do what we tried in version one or, or beta one, where you just treat the cloud like a hypervisor. You say, I'm going to pick up my software, I'm going to go run it over there, and it's going to work. The challenge is that the cloud is not the same as on-prem, and you and you can't treat it the same way. And the, if you do, you run into problems with performance, you run into problems with resiliency. Like, for instance, you know, if you give me, a, if I'm a storage array and you give me write traffic, that is the most sacred thing you give me. Mm-hmm. I should never lose writes. Yeah. It's like, it's table stakes, but it's also really, really important. So there were challenges, and some of that gets down into that when you look, and in this case, looking a little bit at, um, at AWS specifically, None of this is really problematic about what AWS is, but it's just what it was built for, what it was intended for. For instance, you look at EBS, it was originally a boot service for virtual machines. It wasn't originally built to be anything more than that. So you start to think about EBS a little bit. It's block storage, but it's not enterprise class block storage, right? It's If you have a logical volume, you can only attach it to one EC2 instance at a time. If you want to mirror it, um, actually, if one of those pieces goes offline, the entire mirror goes offline, that, that doesn't feel like RAID 1 in the data center, right? Yeah. That kind of feels yeah. like like a different thing. There's some questions you know, about how you scale IOPS relative to capacity. There's ways to do it, but there's there's cost and performance impacts there. Then we get over to, and, and, and of course, there's the, the common statement about that EBS usually has uh, four nines of durability, resiliency of, of the data kind of thing. So we look over at S3, well, that's object storage. Okay, that, that's cool. Yeah. But it's eventually consistent. And it doesn't have the millisecond response time that you kind of expect out of block. It's not bad. It's just the way S3 is. But it's 11 nines of resiliency. You put data there. You talk to a cloud architect and say, my data is in S3. They're like, okay, yeah, good. Your data is fine. And let's talk about other parts of the architecture kind of thing. Um, and, and then when you look at that, there's even some pieces there about just response time, 5 to 10 milliseconds. And then there's even another piece there called DynamoDB. We talked about this in Storage Field Day. Naveen talked there. It's an awesome video by Naveen from Storage Field Day. Okay. Uh, that was recorded on Monday. Good plug. Where when you um, look at how do you solve for eventual consistency, maybe you need to introduce a high-performance database, in this case DynamoDB, non-relational, high-performance database that is super high availability. The, the, the very informal way that I heard an AWS uh, engineer t- tell me about it is that um, if DynamoDB goes down, large swaths of AWS go down. So what we realized is we couldn't just treat the cloud like a hypervisor. We had to look at purity. If you take purity and kind of divide it into two sections, there's the software that runs the same no matter where you run it. 
APIs, snapshots, replication, all that stuff, where we've got 10 years of code history and hardening and maturity. And then there's the pieces that are the software plus hardware. Like if you got a physical flash array, that's the software that helps run your direct flash modules. You yeah. know, maybe it's on the FPGA. Things there. that are under the cover, right? Mm -hmm. that are or there. the NVRAM, yeah. yeah. et cetera. Right, right. So we realized that what we had to do is we wanted to get the advantage of this, the strength and uh, hardening of the software and the maturity of the so purity that we have, but also tailor it not to treat the cloud like a hypervisor, but like a collection of hardware primitives. And I use that very intentionally because mm -hmm. I'm talking with AWS folks, people who know it, the word primitive is this common idea. AWS creates primitives. Their services are primitives. They give them to you. You assemble them and do wonderful things with them. In this case, you create, you know, an enterprise block storage platform in yeah. the cloud. Yeah. But this is all goes, this all gets wrapped up into, in sort of what we call, you know, delivering the same experience, mm -hmm. right? I mean, all these services that you're talking about, and because we're not treating it like a hypervisor, right, where yep. you're just pushing things in there, I think what people want is consistency yes. in the experience. And the realization is that the experience is different in most cases. Mm -hmm. And and maybe back to your anecdote, mm -hmm. right, of unnamed, you know, customer, you know, near Come Charlotte, yeah. right, the, yep. that kind of looked at what their experience was Very and said, this is not delivering what we, you know, what we thought mm -hmm. we were going to get. And the and reason I, I sometimes go a little deeper there, and I'll do this five to 10 minutes, kind of that last section, is because people have heard some messaging about, oh, hey, we have cloud data services, and then they get into them. The marketing messaging has been out there because we can, and this is all, all due respect to my previous technical marketing background yeah, and yeah. department of the year, and it's the right kind of thing. We can create things on slides a lot faster than we can create them in real life, true according to PowerPoint, right kind of thing. So people have had this messaging for a while, but they've been burned by it. So that's sometimes why I go in a little bit deeper into the, yeah. here's what we had to do to actually achieve that. Because they know that unless you're, if you're doing the same thing, like just pretending it's easy like everybody else, it, it's probably it's probably not going to work. The other piece then, and this is where I loop all the way back around to the beginning of talking about the idea of financial headroom and data reduction. And financial headroom, I was Googling on this last night. I think the, the most recent reference I found was like in some article from Santander, a bank, right? You know, kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. in 2013. So I don't know if it's unique to me, but I'm not finding anyone else using it right now. But the concept of if in the cloud, you just want to have all your regular cloud resources and you want to have pure stuff on top of it, you're only going to be able to use that for your very top applications that mm -hmm. you can spend the most money on. But what if you introduced data reduction? Right. So that you could actually trim down the amount of cloud resources needed and that actually creates the financial headroom, not to just to use it for you know the very top applications, but maybe to use it for a lot of the applications that you, you want to use. But you can't just do this individual justification financially. And, and the crazy thing is there, and this is a little bit contrarian, sometimes you're like, well, wouldn't Amazon be kind of unhappy about that? You know, using less AWS resources or Microsoft using less Azure resources? The reality was briefing a cloud team for a large, um, a large bank on this, the AWS team actually for a large bank, their response was just pure enthusiasm because this allows them to go after workloads that they haven't been able to touch before. People that need enterprise block storage in the cloud, they do this enough to know the offerings in the cloud aren't sufficient today yeah. and they don't even go after that. So for them, th to them, to AWS, this isn't a zero-sum game. This expands the portfolio of applications that they can have a legitimate conversation with and customers And that's where about. I was kind of going to go, which was, you know, the alternative is you're not going to get any crack at one of those workloads in cloud at all. Mm -hmm. They're never going to come to you. They're always going to stay on-prem mm -hmm. because only the, you know, the top tier or the elite things are the ones that are getting considered to run in cloud. So now, you know, this term we use too much, <laughs> but we're democratizing, right, workloads 
end-to-end -to, -end to be able to be run in cloud uh, in addition to on-prem, depending There's on what you want to do. I'd even go back to some history of Flash Array, right? Because flat, because of the performance and stability of Flash Array, it might have often, we'd see customers that buy it for their tier one application. And then this workload comes on, and this workload comes on, the data keeps reducing, and the performance stays good. And before you know it, a year or two later, all these things that it wasn't necessarily bought for are on the, are on the box all and on performing the same well. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So this expansion of what people can do with it. And a mix of prod and non-prod, right? I mean, that's one mm -hmm. that I see over and over mm -hmm. again. That was mm -hmm. that was very illuminating in, in coming here was, mm -hmm. you know, I thought the whole, you know, you know, the chocolate mixed with the peanut butter, that whole thing, you know, I can date myself with the old Reese's ads back in the seventies and I maybe overused that one, but you know, don't, don't mix the chocolate with the peanut butter. Don't put your prod and non-prod And here. We say, yeah, go ahead and do that. It doesn't matter. There's mm -hmm. not going to be any impact. Well, I'd even play that analogy out a little further. So, I mean, um, M&Ms uh -huh. chose not to do peanut butter. They created this huge market opportunity for, you know, Reese's to Reese's. create a whole company around that. And there have been other companies that I think could have taken a, a first crack at this sooner. Right. But they chose not to. At the cloud thing. At the cloud thing. Right, and doing candy. enterprise, <laughs> yeah, enterprise, enterprise storage, <laughs> block storage in the cloud. Right. But part of the reason they didn't is because it was hard. It's really this wasn't hard. easy. I've, I've seen a slide with 100 plus engineers inside Pure that had to work on this. So yeah. I'm, we're doing like the podcast version of this. Yep. But this was hard engineering work. Yeah, no, Stephen Foskett, he just walked by and made a face <laughs> at us. But he was in here yesterday and that was one of his comments. It was one of his tweets and I brought it up when we were talking. And mm -hmm. he just said, mm -hmm. he said, you know, I've, I've had enough discussions with people in Pure that from an engineering standpoint, this didn't just, you know, click, this didn't just, you know, you didn't just push a button and go, okay, cloud, mm -hmm. right, here you go. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, you know, deliberate effort of lots and lots of resources yep. and, you know, and congrats to them for, for, you know, we're now at the point where we've GA'd this thing and it's out mm -hmm. and they, and they worked their rears off and it's impressive stuff to be able to do it, but it's hard. Going back to the previous, I mean, kind of point we were talking about EBS and S3 and what they are, we, we basically had to create a virtual drive module, which kind of looks a little bit like our direct flash module that combines EC2, just like you have an FPGA in a direct yeah. flash module. Right. It combines EBS for fast reads. It combines S3 for resiliency, uses DynamoDB to help with eventual consistency. That took, aside from just doing it, like kind of mapping that whole flow out, some, some crazy smart people to kind of look at the cloud Back to the same way we look at consumer SSDs and think about how can we use these really intelligently to get to that effortless customer experience kind yeah. of thing once yeah. it's done. And that's what we're solving for, right? The other um, the other time that I'll sometimes play out kind of financial headroom yeah. is just around the idea of uh, ingress and egress. Okay. I, I'm not here to play kind of the, the egress bogeyman, if you will, because that can vary by customers and yeah. how it's chosen. But but there is cost on egress. But there's also performance impact. So if, if I dive into a use case, maybe, maybe we'll do two use cases because I feel like we're going long enough on this topic. This we're going yeah. long enough. We, we're going to the level of depth we anticipated for okay. this one. Wait, wait, at the beginning, Rob and I were talking, we were unsure, like, man, I don't know how long this is going to take. I guess we'll find out together. Yeah, so, no, we're going to do it. We're gonna, what we planned for part two is going to have to be a part two, <laughs> a legit like part two, which is all right. So from, as you think about data reduction, it's not just data re reducing the amount of resources that you need in the cloud, but the traffic into and out of the cloud. So let's talk about a classic, you know, test dev prod or prod test dev, whatever you want to call it. You know, you do stuff in dev, you put it in test. Often, it, it, a classic use case for cloud is that that's very bursty workloads, you know, yeah. so you want to put test dev up in the cloud. Okay, cool. If you have all of that on premises, on prem, whichever, yeah, um, you actually would often promote from test into prod. 
Maybe you have a fully automated workflow kind of thing, but you've done all your stuff and test. You know that it works exactly. Maybe. You promote, maybe. <laughs> that's like the theory. I always say that because I, I have some people that are like, I do that. And I said, like, that's great for you. Yeah, congratulations. You're, you're wonderfully special and you're, good for you're, you. You're one of the few <laughs> in my experience. Sorry. So back you, to it. <laughs> usually you have tests. You've got tests working. You want to promote that directly into prod. You don't want to relay relay down all those changes and now not know if you did them all right. So what if you've done test dev in the cloud and you want to bring promote test into prod on premises? Unless you have a very efficient data reduced replication path, that probably doesn't work financially. So I've had some good conversations with people where they've said, you know, hey, we've been doing it this way. Maybe we can actually push test dev into the cloud because we never had a cost effective one that's egress cost, right. but even fast enough way to bring stuff back. So if you have test in the cloud on Cloud Block Store and Prod here, most of the blocks are probably pretty similar. And when we replicate, we're only going to send just the different blocks. The deltas, kind of which gets rid of the, the massive cost of doing mm -hmm. the ingress and egress, mm -hmm. right? When we're pushing back and forth. So it's the cost. And then even that I could bring that back within half an hour, an hour, hour kind of thing. Yeah. Back to the efficiency piece, the, the, the speed part. Um, so we're doing these things with the cloud providers, right? And we mm -hmm. won't name names. And it's related to what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, is it the kind of thing where they prefer to participate than to not, right? I think you they, know, if, if, we're, if we're creating this hybrid cloud scenario and we're still saying, look, you know, stay on-prem, mm -hmm. but do your test, mm -hmm. right, in the cloud. It's opening up new opportunities for them that perhaps they wouldn't be getting. Exactly. Is that kind of the net-net? I think it's, they're not, they don't feel threatened, right? They don't, they don't. It's more, I, I think long term, if you play it out, they may feel threatened. I actually wrote a blog post about this a couple of years ago, you know, when first when VMware and AWS made an agreement kind of thing, and basically VMware was betting that it would be better for them, AWS. You know, this is an agreement of convenience. They've invested right. in it, right? Yeah. That kind of thing. But I think that's become more pervasive in seeing that this, this is not a zero sum game that we are expanding the market enough. And this is this is the story of IT, right? Uh, whether yeah. we say it, I've heard it said Jevons, someone the other day said it Jevons, and I got me wondering, like, Jevons paradox, you know, which way do you say it? The, the easier something becomes to use, the more that we consume of it, right? You know, that yeah. kind of thing. And yeah. past a certain point, anytime something grows 10x, it becomes just a different thing mm -hmm. as far as the scalability, as far as how you run it, the opportunities, what you can do with it, right? So I think there's this sense, at least right now, overall, not that there's not any messiness with any given project or customer kind of thing, but that it is a bigger pie and the pie is expanding and there's not going to be the ability to say all to the cloud or all on-prem. Yeah. I don't think anyone's saying that at this point. I think we know more now, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you, you know, go pull up any article from 2011 mm -hmm. and most of them are going to be all to the cloud, right? You know, why are you doing things on-prem at cloud all first in the next 10 initiatives. years? Cloud first, all to the cloud. Yep. Yep. But I don't think we didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know, right? And these, these funny things about technology and basically everything you've been going through Right in terms of the, the you know the, the different software pieces that need to be in both places, otherwise you're just treating it like a hypervisor and it's not going to do mm -hmm. anything that you need or do mm -hmm. it in an efficient manner or mm -hmm. it's going to cost a lot more than you were promised. Um, now we know a lot more, yep. and so that whole you know hybrid thing it makes a lot more sense when we apply what we know about the technology. What I love about technology is good. There's a concept of good technology and good marketing. Good marketing is force multiplier and good technology, but ultimately if something truly doesn't work. It comes out, right? Yeah. It, it just, I mean, there's, there, there's the actual you. stuff all the way. It's yeah. not saying the best technology always wins out. I think we've all got sad stories in our past about better <laughs> tech that didn't win out, right? right? But ultimately, it has to work beyond what we're talking, saying, keynotes or other stuff. And, and that comes out. Of, and we've seen that evolution over the last couple of years. The, 
The other one, and I'm even going to go down one last technology trend and use case, if that's all right. Go for it. Is um, I was having a great conversation with John Owing, so another shout out. Yeah. He's on the Pure Team, and just I'd love put to get out. Jo on here. That would be really <laughs> you awesome. Should. I will eventually. Yeah. He'll give you the the 30 minute version. But I'm going to do in like 60 seconds. Yeah, but he gives me the whole I'm an engineer and I look at my shoes and I don't lock, like talking to people, you know. And I get that whole thing, and I go, yeah. I don't believe you, man. He's, he's a personable, nice guy. Well, he's super well, affable. We were doing that on Twitter the other day, and he's like, oh, I just, I don't, you know, I look at my feet. I'm an engineer. Like, mm-hmm. eh. Anyway, Jo. So he put out a really great blog post about Kubernetes on top of Cloud Block Store, and specifically I have a product uh, that, that's free to customers called Pure Service Orchestrator. So the scenario there is what if you want to, if, what if you have gone down the path of Kubernetes and you now have the need for stateful storage? Started out with containers and Kubernetes development. It was like, everything's going to be stateless. Okay. Yeah. As we're getting, as we're moving down that path, some stateless is some stateful. So when you need state, you need good storage underneath that. So via Pure Service Orchestrator that actually connects up into Kubernetes, CSI coming down the road from a container from a plug-in standpoint, right, kind of thing, you could have the exact same Kubernetes API calls and storage experience when you're doing it on-prem, is in the cloud, or vice versa. Yeah. This isn't diminishing any hosted cloud Kubernetes services, or even VMware's doing great things as well, kind of thing. But you could actually say, in my Kubernetes environment, I develop it one way, and all my storage pieces work this way on premises, and I can make all the assumptions about resiliency and about how split brain is handled, and some really cool stuff that we did in PSO. I can make those exact same assumptions, and not have to change them rather yeah. Yeah. when I want to do that in the cloud as mm-hmm. well. So that's there's some there's some future use cases that we're seeing. Some around test dev prod, some around disaster recovery. And the reason I say some of those are future is because some of those will require people who don't have AWS cloud skills or Azure or other cloud skills to start to get there. Kubernetes folks already have all the skills, yeah, right? So they there. could do this yeah, literally today. And then some subset of our customers that are familiar with cloud could start doing the other ones right away. And some of them need to gear up skill-wise too. From a cloud Is that standpoint. kind of your advice, right? I mean, you know, if you're going to a kind of classic storage admin audiences or even with, you know, DBAs or IT administrators, sure, they probably dabbled in cloud or done some things, but it's sort of like, you know, the, the wave is coming or the wave is already here. I'd say it, it's so here by sector. certified, go jump in because if you want to participate in this thing, you've got to expand your scope. This is 15 years ago when on the customer side, I realized... I started to move from kind of a admin role into kind of an engineer role. Yeah. For me, the definition is you're starting to implement the new projects as they yeah. come in versus yeah. run them. Yeah. And eventually architect was like, you're scoping it out kind of thing where there's this upward gravitational pull. You know, if you like doing the stuff, then you have opinions about how to implement it, how to architect it. But what I realized is that um, I, there's two choices from an IT standpoint. We know many of us embark into IT because we love that there's new stuff all the time. Totally. That's wonderful, and it's also hard. Yeah. So that means that, to me, then it comes down to a binary choice. I can either be driving change, or I can have, the, or I can have change driven on me. I'm not looking to make anyone else's life worse, but I know which side of that equation I'd rather be on personally. Right. right? And I've somewhat, I pursue my career without trying to step on people in any way, and even help people and lift other people up and go in that direction. So to your point, if you haven't been brushing up on Azure cloud skills, on AWS cloud skills. There's some great sites out there. Microsoft has great content. Um, a cloud guru, if I can give another shout out. I don't Absolutely. know if that's a, no. They've got a lot of good content plug what as you well. Want to plug, there's, right? there's stuff on LinkedIn. There, there's a lot of resources out there. But to me, if you're not going down this path, sometime in the near future, and, and the penetration between commercial and enterprise and even different parts of the country, it absolutely varies. Like pure storage came to the Carolinas from an impact standpoint later than it did to the West Coast. But it still came. Yeah. It still had a big impact, right? So there's a, there's yeah. a once you see that wave coming, getting ahead of that and getting on it, um, can make a lot of sense. Unless you just want to go and uh, and learn COBOL and and harness that great market that's still out there, maybe for the rest of your career. Maybe I'll do that when I get tired. <laughs> I, 
you know, oh. mainframes are never going away, but that's, that's a whole <laughs> another conversation and tape archive, right? I come from both of those worlds and, Flake, you know, there's flash there's, plus tape. Ah, uh, yes, oh, yes. That's going to be a whole nother thing <laughs> that we're going to do. Well, Hey, this has been a blast and I love that as kind of a send off, right? You know, mm -hmm. for, for folks listening, um, that are in that, you know, those admin spaces, I think that's a great advice, right? If you want to be a part of the change and not have it thrust upon you. Um, it's not even go brush up on the skills. Go, go dive in. You know, go dive in. Go, and this is neat stuff. It's fun get, to learn. No, you I can know, kind of reunite yeah. your technical soul. It's probably re-energizing, right? Bingo. You yeah, got it. totally re-energizing. I love it. Well, you are re-energizing. Uh, you are always welcome. Thank you. Onto the program, and I know we have a whole other talk track that we want to do. So we'll have to figure out another time to uh, connect and do that. But um, I'm happy we could finally make this work. Do you have a blog? Do you got anything else you want to plug? We already plugged your Twitter. But happy to. On, anything on, else that you have? On Twitter at Endriven. Yeah. Um, I blog sporadically. Okay. At, uh, at thinkmeta.net. Okay. Um, my DMs are open, so if you ever want to reach out about pure questions or other things, I can chat about a whole bunch of stuff. You know, please don't hesitate. You're extremely accessible, and we love that. Try to be. Thank you. This was a blast. Awesome. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, for listening and subscribing. I hope you really enjoyed this. We will get uh, Andrew back on again as uh, soon as possible onto the Pure Report and continue to bring great guests like him for you uh, that add value and give you some insight into the, uh, into the heart and soul of what Pure is doing, uh, which is a great thing. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Andrew Miller. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.